mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, scary goblins and danger lurking around every corner are supposed to be the stuff of spine-tingling ghost stories. But beware the real perils at Halloween. It's the latest in our series of crime prevention conversations. Also this morning, the Hancock County Community Coalition on Addiction is speaking out against Issue 2, joining a chorus of voices opposed to the legalization of recreational marijuana in Ohio. And happening around town each year, it keeps getting bigger. The University of Findlay is gearing up for their 18th annual Helping Hands Food Drive, making a real difference in the fight against hunger in the community. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition. For Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. In a new ranking of the world's retirement systems, the U.S. scores a C plus uh, overall, according to the latest Mercer CFA Institute Global Pension Index. Mercer CFA Institute Global Pension Index. U.S. scores 22nd. Out of 47 measured countries. Uh, that is a slightly lo- lower score than a year ago. And the problem is the way Americans fund their retirement, which is, of course, primarily through Social Security, 401ks, individual retirement accounts. And that setup, they say, has some major shortcomings, particularly when it comes to long term solvency. The report points out that employers in the U.S. are not required to provide retirement plans for all workers. And although automatic enrollment in 401k plans has helped improve participation and boosted total retirement savings, many Americans don't have access to a 401k. It's not required. And uh, many of those choose not to open an individual retirement account either. American retirement savers... It says can also withdraw their savings early for a number of other reasons, emergencies, purchase a home, and so on, which uh, is nice in terms of flexibility, but can shortchange one's future financial security. By comparison, the Netherlands, where all workers have both a private and public pension account, ranked at the top of the list. For the Dutch, that system has three components. There is a public pension that provides a flat rate to all retirees, depending on how long they have lived and worked in the country. Um, Then there is a semi-mandatory requirement for employers to provide all workers with a pension. And in addition to that, individuals can invest on their own to boost their their own personal eventual retirement income. And they say that is the best system overall. The U.S. AC+. So if you are hoping to retire someday, it's an interesting report there. Among the uh, first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, QRS Magazine is out with their annual list of the fastest fast food and taco bell is king of the drive-thru qrs magazine puts out an annual report on the average wait times for food at the fast food drive-thru and the fastest of the fast food belongs to uh, taco bell carl's jr and kfc are number two and three respectively now we don't have carl's jr around here um in the eastern part of the country those restaurants are known as hardy's and i think it's the same i mean it's the same menu right it's the same owners um the logos are very similar uh for the restaurants i think it's the exact same menu but it just goes by a different name uh in the eastern part of the country carl's jr out west and hardy's in the east now i don't know if uh carl's jr and Hardee's together, number two, or if they list Hardee's separately. But in any event, Carl's Jr., it says here, in KFC, number two and number three. Interestingly, among this year's, uh, in this year's drive-thru report, Chick-fil-A has the longest average wait time at the drive-thru at around seven minutes. However, 
Chick-fil-A has the highest rating overall for customer satisfaction. Even though they're the slowest at the drive-thru, they've got the highest rating for customer satisfaction. It's almost like the better the food, the longer we're willing to wait. You know, I, that's a uh, crazy thought, but... Uh, Kind of, of course, if you uh, to go to the drive-thru, you have to have a car. And the FBI uh, released their latest numbers on vehicle theft. Uh, and the agency says the number of motor vehicle thefts posted a double-digit jump year over year. Now, the latest data is from 2022, but it is a 10.9% spike from the 2021 numbers. Uh, the total number of cars stolen last year, according to the FBI, nearly a million. That's how they, they pegged it. Nearly a million. Uh, let's see here. Separate reports have previously suggested that some vehicle models are more popular targets for, uh, of theft, targets of theft than others. Earlier this year, the Highway Loss Data Institute identified the Dodge Charger SRT Hellcat as the car between model years 2020 and 2022, as having the highest relative claim frequency for theft. The Dodge Charger SRT Hellcat. Top five also includes the Dodge Charger Hemi, the Infiniti Q50 four-door, the Dodge Challenger, and the Land Rover Range Rover four-door four-wheel drive. A similar report from the the National Insurance Crime Bureau, different organization said earlier this year that their three models uh, from their data favored by thieves last year were the full-size Chevy pickup, the full-size Ford pickup, and the Honda Civic. And for those, the most frequently swiped model years were the 2004, the 2006, and 2000, respectively. So among older vehicles, it's the 04 Chevy pickup, the 06 Ford pickup, in the 2000 Honda Civic. Why a 2000 Honda Civic? Well, basically because there are a lot of them. They can part them out or they're just really, really common and easy to get rid of. So there you go. I did, Do you ever, does anyone ever factor that in when deciding what car to buy? I mean, I don't know anyone who has ever uh, factored in the likelihood of a vehicle being stolen as one factor that, you know, uh, you look at safety ratings, maybe you look at color options, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, how quality of the stereo, you know, things like that. But do we look at the theft data? But I don't think most people do. It's kind of interesting. Uh, let's see. You remember a, a couple, three weeks ago, we mentioned the National Toy Hall of Fame is out with their nominees for inclusion uh, this year. The uh, Toy Hall of Fame. Well... They are adding a bit of a twist this year to it now because there are a number of iconic toys that never seem to make the cut. Toys that have been nominated for inclusion in the Hall of Fame multiple times but never can quite get enough votes to make it in. They call them the Forgotten Five and they include the Pogo Stick, the Fisher-Price Corn Popper, My Little Pony... Pez dispensers, and Transformers. So now, the National Toy Hall of Fame has come up with the idea of guaranteeing that one of those Forgotten Five will get in, and it will be purely in the hands of the voting public. According to the curator of the National Toy Hall of Fame, Christopher Bench, you can cast one vote per day now through October 24th, on the Toy Hall of Fame website, and one of those Forgotten Five is guaranteed to make it in. It's got to be the Fisher-Price Corn Popper, doesn't it? I mean, that is the, that's a generation. I know the Pogo, Pogo Stick is also multi-generational, but at, for generations, uh, kids have had the Fisher-Price Corn Popper. It's almost like, uh, I know in some families, they hand down the same one generation after generation. And uh, so it's got to be it's got to be that one. I mean, all of them are good, but... Uh, but the Fisher-Price Corn Popper, I think, has got to be. This. It gets my vote. Um, let's see here. The uh, National Toy Hall of Fame. Uh, again, you can vote once per day now through October 24th. Is that when they announce uh, all of the inductees this year? I'm not sure. 
it'll be uh, here in the not-too-distant future. We will follow up on that. Uh, We have a new hottest pepper in the world. I know the uh, Carolina Reaper is largely considered to be the world's hottest pepper. Well, now the creators of the Carolina Reaper, uh, a team at South Carolina's Winthrop University has determined that the latest pepper that uh, these folks have created, they were responsible for unleashing the Carolina Reaper on the world, and now they have unveiled Pepper X. Pepper X. So, how hot is it? Jalapeno peppers. Everybody's familiar with jalapenos. They usually come in at somewhere between 3,000 and 8,000 Scoville heat units, which is the standard of measure for pepper heat, apparently. So jalapenos, somewhere between 3,000 and 8,000 SHU, is what they call them for short. The Carolina Reaper averages 1.64 million Scoville heat units. So very, very hot. And the Pepper X rates an average of nearly 2.7 SHU. 2.7. That's like 60% more than the Carolina Reaper. That's hot. That is hot. And this is not generally commercially available. However, the company that came up with the Pepper X, which is, by the way, the Pucker Butt Pepper Company, Pucker Butt Pepper Company. Um, it is a proprietary uh, crossbreed. The public will be able to try the pepper through the release of a number of Pepper X hot sauces. So watch for those if you are so inclined. I am not. No, thank you. I will pass. But if you're into that sort of thing, there you go. And uh, lastly here this morning... Among the first things you need to know this uh, uh, this Wednesday morning, and this is big news, Captain Daniel Reynolds has graduated from the U.S. military's Ranger School this week. Uh, he is the first Space Force Guardian, first member of the Space Force, to earn that distinction. So, therefore, he is, are you following this here? He is... Effectively, the U.S. military's first space ranger. (laughs) To infinity and beyond for Captain Daniel Reynolds, America's first space ranger, first graduate of ranger school among the Space Force. So congratulations. Now that's an accomplishment. That's you can tell your grandkids, your great grandkids, generations from now, members of his family will say, My ancestor was the very first space ranger. (laughs) There you go. Some of the uh, most so congratulations to Captain Daniel Reynolds. Uh, He currently serves as test director with the 4th Test and Evaluation Squadron Space Delta 12. So there you go. There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning start. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly to mostly sunny today with a high in the low 60s, partly cloudy tonight, uh, low in the low 50s. The Ohio State Highway Patrol says two people were seriously injured in a head-on crash on State Route 15 west of Van Lu. The Highway Patrol said a 32-year-old woman from Finley was driving eastbound on State Route 15 when she drove across the median and into the westbound lanes, hitting a pickup truck driven by a man from Michigan. A semi then struck the SUV and the woman was ejected from her vehicle. The woman suffered life-threatening injuries and was life-flighted from the scene to a Toledo hospital. The Michigan man suffered severe injuries and was taken by Hanco EMS to Blanchard Valley Hospital. The semi-driver was not injured. About an hour later, a semi hit four vehicles that were stopped in traffic due to the crash, injuring four people and getting life-flight called out to the scene again. Get more on the crashes on our website. The city of Finley is busy preparing for next April's total solar eclipse. As they prepare, Service Safety Director Rob Martin says there's a lot of unknowns. We're going to have an influx of people, but how many people, we don't know. When they come into town and when they're going to leave will all be different, I'm sure. The weather, early April. 
The Chamber of Commerce has set up a solar eclipse website containing a bunch of useful information, and we have a link to it in the story on our website. A contentious new bill has been introduced at the Ohio State House. House Bill 183, it would require all public schools and colleges in the state to mandate that students can only use the bathroom or locker room that matches the sex they were assigned at birth. The Republican lawmaker who introduced it says he did this in the name of public safety, but more than 100 people showed up to the state house earlier this week to voice opposition, saying this is discrimination against transgender people. Right now, the bill is in the House Higher Education Committee. I'm Tracy Townsend. Project Hope's annual trick-or-treat on horseback fundraiser is coming up the next two weekends. The Hope in Project Hope stands for Horses Opening People's Eyes. The organization uses horses to help people dealing with emotional and behavioral challenges. Their trick-or-treat on horseback fundraiser will be held at their stables on Township Road 215 east of Finley. Don't forget you can always get more news online at WFIN.com. So now our cover story this morning, it is the latest in our series of crime prevention conversations. We're coming up on Halloween, the time of scary goblins and danger lurking around every corner. That's supposed to be the stuff of ghost stories, but there are some real perils that uh, exist at Halloween. And joining us this morning is uh, Finley Police Department Crime Prevention Officer Brian White. Brian, thanks very much for dropping by. We Morning, Chris. It. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's talk a little bit about, I mean, a number of different layers uh, on, on this. Uh, this time of year, always fun for the kids, but as parents, I get a little bit nervous. Um, first of all, let's talk a little bit about the uh, parade. And I know we were talking about it uh, earlier this week. Um, this is always... We kind of hold our breath uh, because of all of the candy and stuff sure. that's being tossed yep. and kids that are kind of moving around a lot. Yeah, uh, moving around and, and kind of, uh, you know, uh, pushing out into the street a little bit more and more and more. And so you really get uh, asking parents to keep a close watch of that. Sure. Yeah. At the parade, safety is always a concern. Mm-hmm. And especially when we have large vehicles, floats, it's dark right. out. It's really tough to see. Right. That's where keeping a distance uh, is much needed. Uh, so that's why we kind of have the restrictions then place the barrels in the road, mm-hmm. stay back behind them. We kind of have our officers plus uh, um, some volunteers that come through and just kind of, it, it's not to be mean to, right. <laughs> to right. tell kids you can't get candy, but it's more about safety, keeping everyone back away from the floats themselves. Yeah. Um, and I, I know as someone who has driven uh, big vehicles in parades before you've got a lot going on that you're trying to watch for uh, the spectators, the people in front of you, you know, uh, all of those things. And especially when you've got a parade at night, uh, that can be uh, very challenging. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. We, we can't really expect our drivers to see everything, especially mm. in a dark area in a residential area yeah. where, where the parade is hosted. And that's where it really becomes incumbent on the parents to make sure to have a little bit of control. I, I get it, right? Kids, they want to get candy. Right. We as parents, we want our kids to get candy. <laughs> sure. But, but we got to practice safe yeah. Uh, yeah. etiquette. So uh, just a, a reminder on that. And uh, then, of course, uh, the next big candy gathering event, Trick or Treat, Absolutely. Uh, which is uh, right around the corner here. Um, again, some basic things that you want families to bear in mind during the uh, trick-or-treat hours sure well one of the things starts with costumes right kids want the the fanciest latest uh coolest costumes but Mm. sometimes they're not really taking safety into account they might have pieces of the costume they're dragging on the ground makes it a trip hazard uh might not even be able to see out some of the mask so Mm. make sure that we're buying appropriate costumes uh also make sure the kids are going out in groups right if they're not with parents necessarily make sure we have groups together because there really is strength in numbers Mm -hmm. crossing remind kids to cross at designated crosswalks and intersections because Mm -hmm. the last thing we want is kids darting out into traffic yeah uh and that kind of goes with uh traffic anyone that might be driving that night make sure we're paying better attention i mean it's tough to do sometimes Mm -hmm. but uh slow down and especially, uh, again, in those communities where trick-or-treat happens at dar- uh, after dark or at sunset, uh, again, can sure. present yeah, absolutely. Ours dangers. is kind of right on that line, mm-hmm. right, where it's uh, still light out but moving into darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also is a good reminder to wear something bright, right, something that sticks out. Bright clothing, even the flashy lights. Kids love flashy lights. That's great for people to be able to see them. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and there are some neighborhoods, again, this uh, becomes a bit of a, a challenge in some neighborhoods where uh, there aren't sidewalks Absolutely. Uh, in, in some uh, areas, too. So, again, kids moving around in the street, you got to really be careful. You mentioned uh, trick-or-treating in, in groups. I mean, I, I know as far back as when I was a kid, uh, again, the advice was, you know, you never go in a house, right. uh, yeah. you know, things like that. A lot of those yeah. uh, same uh, safety precautions still apply. Absolutely. So it's actually funny. This time of year, I go into um, classrooms. I talk mm-hmm. with younger kids about uh, stranger danger, right? Yeah. And uh, one of the questions that inevitably comes up, well, what about Halloween? You know, yeah. we're going around to stranger houses, exactly. taking candy from strangers, exactly. all, all the perils that we educate children on not to do. Yeah, don't do that. So it's an important reminder for parents, talk with your kids about what stranger danger means, right? Trusted adults versus an actual stranger mm-hmm. and how Halloween is a event that we know in advance. We're in groups. We're mm-hmm. safer in groups. Mm-hmm. We're generally not going into houses, right? Yeah going up a sidewalk and there's plenty of people there to help out so explain what those differences is because it can be confusing for kids and if we are confusing them they might not know what to do if they are approached by a stranger that is a good point how how often does that become an issue i mean if if you were looking at uh, from the predator's uh, point of view you know that trick-or-treat is coming you know that kids are going to be uh are going to be out um, is that a big concern? Well, I wouldn't say it's a concern because they know that generally kids are not going to be by themselves or with other kids mm-hmm. or they're with their parents, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially younger kids are going to be with parents. Yeah. There's plenty of people around to offer help and assistance if needed. Yeah. If someone is a predator, they are looking to isolate that child by themselves harder to do right during trick or treat. Right. Correct. Um, what about the, and again, um, I've heard different uh, different stories. A lot of folks say it's an urban legend, the uh, idea of tainted candy uh, at Halloween. Well, you, you know, every year we hear stories of things like that happening. Mm-hmm. Some may be true, some might not be, but it's always good to be safe, right? Yeah. And that's where we talk about candy inspections. Uh, that's something that we do with our kids. I, I always kind of joke around that uh, uh, one of the years I found a bunch of candy cigarettes, right, <laughs> in our kids' bag. Probably and, and not the most appropriate. Not well, necessarily dangerous, but right, uh, right. Uh, obviously just candy. Yeah. But it did prove to be a talking point with with our kids about smoking, right, mm-hmm. and cigarettes, and yeah. how you know just sometimes imitation can uh, be a little bit of a concern because it it, it might uh, show that something is fun or cool or mm-hmm. something. So it, it provided a talking point. So even if nothing else, um, even if the candy's fine, it, it allows you to, to that chance to interact with your kids. Yeah. And also, if you find something that's open, throw it away. I mean, uh, when in doubt, throw it out. That's kind of the, the slogan. Yeah. Right. Um, most kids going to get plenty of candy, so a piece <laughs> yeah. or two uh, yep. that has to be tossed out is probably not uh, going to be that uh, that much missed. But uh, certainly a word of advice. And, and you point out that if there are concerns that come up, from strangers or concerns over candy officers are going to be out uh, the police uh, are going to be out uh, uh, that's correct we have our normal patrols that we do always on trick-or-treat mm-hmm. uh, we'll also have extra officers out that night um, some will be slowing down uh, traffic uh, such as high traffic areas like south main street mm-hmm. uh, we will also have officers i know two of the schools for sure will be jefferson as well as northview where they'll be handing out candy as well. Okay. Just kind of being present in those neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, police presence is uh, never a bad thing, uh, especially uh, on a night where yeah, anything can happen because it's trick-or-treat. It's Halloween. I also want to ask you about this because, uh, again, you know, things change a generation or two ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, we used to engage in all kinds of mischief uh, <laughs> in and around you know, trick-or-treat and Halloween night, uh, everything from TP in the neighbor's house to soap in people's windows, sure. that yep. kind of thing. Um, you know, that's, that's the sort of thing that, again, a generation or two, we kind of thought of, you know, kids will be kids. Is that still the prevailing uh, thought or theory on... Well, mischief always happens, and we expect to some degree a certain amount of it. However, I will say over the years, it really seems to be going down. Um, Again, I think it's maybe more generational. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't really see much, uh, although it does still happen, we don't see it quite as much as what we used to. Yeah, Um, but is that, I mean, what level is that, does that become something where a kid can really get into trouble? 
Well, it depends on every circumstance. I mean, it, it, obviously, if we have someone whose house is vandalized and they wish to pursue a criminal complaint, we have to address it. Mm-hmm. Um, if they are just looking for the kids to kindly remove their uh, decorations that they have added, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it won't become such a big deal. Uh, so it really depends on the circumstances. Anyone can uh, pursue that avenue if, if they choose to, yeah, wish so to pursue it. Something to uh, to keep in mind. Again, uh, different uh, different era now than maybe it was a generation or two ago. But, yeah, that, that's for sure. Things um, have changed. Want to mention, so a lot of uh, safety uh, things to keep in mind as we come up on uh, Halloween. We have a link up on our webpage uh, for more information on uh, all of this. By the way, real quickly, uh, want to mention while we're talking about uh, safety and uh medication your community uh, medication collection uh is coming up uh later this month that, that's correct i believe it's actually on the same day um just in the morning mm-hmm. uh, so unused expired medications it's a good way to kind of get rid of them we do this uh twice a year um with the assistance of uh the sheriff's office uh, the pharmacy students at the university as well as adams board mm-hmm. where we will uh Basically, you just drive in through the city municipal lot, uh, drop off your medications. We'll take them straight from your car. That way, you don't even have to get out. It's a nice, convenient way. Mm-hmm. And that way, those medications don't end up into the wrong hands of someone that might abuse them yeah. or into the water supply right. by being flushed. Uh, Saturday, October 28th, uh, 8 a.m. And again, at the uh, municipal building uh, parking lot on uh, West Crawford Street for the uh, medication uh, collection. So I want to make sure that we mention that as well. Again, Finley Police Department Crime Prevention. Officer Brian White with us uh, this morning talking Halloween safety. Thanks very much for dropping by. We hey, Chris. It. Thanks for having me. Well, early voting is now underway for the November election, and among the measures that voters will decide, issue two would legalize recreational marijuana use in Ohio. Not surprisingly, the Hancock County Community Coalition on Addiction is opposed. And joining us this morning is Zach Thomas from Hancock County Adamus on behalf of the uh, Coalition on Addiction. And uh, Zach, not a a big surprise that the coalition would be opposed to this measure, but kind of lay out your position, explain your position, why you are so opposed uh, to this measure. Sure. Well, good morning, Chris, and, and thank you for having me on the air this morning to talk about this issue. Um, you know, there's really three kind of areas that we've been looking at as far as the, the big concerns we have as, as it relates to legalization of, of recreational marijuana. The first one would be, um, and it all really speaks to prevention. And, um, you know, with alcohol use, we have a history of guidelines and research that shows you know, what, what safer use looks like. Mm-hmm. None of that research exists for marijuana. And so for those reasons, um, um, that's a reason to certainly oppose it because we just don't have the science to support safer use of, of the substance. Um, the other secondary reason is, you know, recreational marijuana, if it were to become legalized, reduces a barrier. Um, simply by the fact that some things are illegal um, is enough of a prevention standard that people wouldn't even attempt to, to use it. Um, and then the third one is um, really, and we've seen this in other states, um, and, and research has shown us that when a substance becomes legalized, um, the, the perception of risk, particularly among youth, goes down, uh, which means they, seem, they see it as a little bit safer, um, and so it may not be as harmful. And likewise, access also increases. So for those three major reasons is is what the coalition has has said, you know, this is a reason to oppose issue two. Let me uh, present some of the arguments from the other side, give you a chance to respond. What about the argument that a regulated market is, in fact, safer for Ohioans and particularly children because by making this available in regulated retail establishments, you can control uh, the access to youth as opposed to the street pushers who will sell to anyone. Yeah, you know, that's, that's, a, that's an argument we've heard. Um, but we can also counter that by saying, you know, alcohol is regulated and we still have issues with kids underage drinking. Um, smoking tobacco products are also highly regulated and there's still access to kids can get those. So the question is, why would we want to exacerbate that situation by adding yet another product that could compound those issues that our youth are already experiencing. 
There is also the question of, and in opposition to issue two, we have heard the term gateway drug, that this then becomes, if it's, uh, if it's more accessible, if it's legal, it becomes a gateway drug to, uh, to harder substances, to other substances. And uh, again, the argument here is that what really has been a gateway to the heroin epidemic that we have seen uh, of late are prescription opioids, not so much uh, the uh, marijuana issue. Do you still view this as a gateway drug, or is that is the research just not really support that? Well, you know, the, we used to use the term gateway drug, like you were saying, Chris, for a lot of things. Um, but actually, uh, what, you know, our, our research has shown us, particularly through SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Administration, you know, one in 10 people who use marijuana um, have become addicted to using the substance. And that increases to one in six uh, if someone under the age of 18 starts using marijuana. So, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to lead to a harder substance um, in and of itself can create a significant number of health issues and behavioral issues just by simply using the substance alone. There was an interesting piece. Um, I believe it was in the uh, paper a couple of days ago, uh, which uh, made the argument that the real danger uh, in Ohio with respect to marijuana and marijuana-related products uh, for both children and the general public at large are the edibles containing THC, which are already legal and easily accessible in the state of Ohio. Does this go beyond just the question of marijuana per se in issue two? Um. Well, I, I think, you know, there would be other forms of it that would become legalized for this process. And again, that kind of speaks to, you know, increasing access. Um, you know, we're already challenged with some, some youth getting access to, you know, maybe a person has a medical marijuana card and has um, products in their household like that. Mm-hmm. And so this could certainly exacerbate that issue. So... What what would be a lot of people see this as kind of inevitable? It's already legal in Michigan, which uh, again for some, especially in this part of the state, maybe not so much in in Columbus or Cincinnati, but uh, in this part of the state, uh, a lot of people say, "Well, you just drive across the border to Michigan, and uh, you can buy this stuff." Um, yeah. A lot of folks see this uh, as inevitable. Uh, that this uh, will be legalized. And in fact, at the national level, they're looking at uh, relaxing the rules uh, on, on marijuana. What, what would be the, the, the counter? I mean, how do, you, how do you counter that if indeed this is where you know, public acceptance of marijuana is heading? Yeah, that, that's a fair question because you know, we've, we've struggled with that as well. Um, you know, when we look at it through the lens of prevention, um, you know, we have to consider it no different than we do with alcohol, tobacco, or any other substance in that what we're really trying to do is protect the brain. Um, we know that the, the youth brain doesn't become fully developed until about age 25, 26, and the longer we can delay the time that someone tries a substance, the better chance they have of not developing uh, an issue, a substance use issue, whether it's dependence or an addiction or even just issues with using it on and of itself. So if that becomes the inevitability that it is legalized, then our mission and our job is to make sure that we are providing sound prevention, education, awareness, and skill sets and really build those resiliency skills of our youth uh, through pro-social engagement, through understanding how the brain works and just really, really honing in on delaying the onset of any use of any substance. Again, uh, Zach Thomas with the uh, Hancock County Community Coalition on Addiction opposed to issue two, which would legalize recreational marijuana use in Ohio. We have a link for more information about the work of the coalition on our webpage, you can go to goodmornings.net. And again, Zach Thomas, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, thanks, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. 
We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. A woman in Texas uh, is now uh, dealing with thousands of dollars in damage to her car caused by a clumsy giraffe. Caused by a clumsy giraffe. (laughs) Uh, Carrie Hill and her family were visiting the Fossil Rim Wildlife Center last week when they decided to feed one of the giraffes. This is one of those uh, drive through wildlife parks. You know, they have them. We have them uh, in Ohio Sandusky. They have uh, ones very popular. Um, so you drive through, and, and you can feed the wildlife and, and, and so on. So they decided they were going to feed a giraffe. Uh, Ms. Hill says, though, the giraffe lost its balance and fell onto her windshield of her vehicle. <laughs> the, the animal then started to panic and flail about, doing more than $4,200 in damage to the car. <laughs> um, the, uh, the park, she reported it to the uh, owners of the park, but they have a policy of taking no responsibility for damage to cars, to property, or to visitors, although I do believe that they refunded her entrance fee. So, her entry fee. <laughs> she got her ticket price. Uh, refunded, uh, but no help with the uh, insurance deductible. Try explaining that to your insurance company. I swear, my car was damaged, $4,200 in damage, a clumsy giraffe. <laughs> not, not something you have every day happen, in, especially in the state of Texas. Maybe, maybe in Africa or something, but uh, in the state of Texas, you probably don't have... A whole lot of insurance claims due to clumsy giraffes. <laughs> and try to explain that to your insurance adjuster. Uh, let's see here. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, an adult dancer is suing a Southern California strip club for wrongful termination. The, <laughs> the woman claims that she was fired for objecting to certain workplace conditions which she claims included the requirement of um, giving some extra service to a certain number of customers each evening, if you know what I'm talking about. An extra added level of service, as they say. Uh, She... uh, The lawsuit also accuses the owners of La Vida Gentleman's Club in Sun Valley... Uh, accuses them of sexual harassment, retaliation, battery, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and violations of the state labor code. I would have to agree. I think that's probably a violation of the state labor code uh, to give uh, extra service to (laughs) certain folks at the strip club. That's probably a violation of the labor code. She is seeking an... uh, she is seeking unspecified damages and an injunction against the club. So, very important story. We'll uh, continue to uh, to watch very closely. Um, speaking of uh, Southern California, uh, this is this is just wrong. I mean, you think Disneyland, Southern California, is supposed to be the happiest place on earth? But for a few moments, the park looked like more like a WWE cage match. Uh, This happened in Fantasyland, in the Fantasyland section of the park, with kids in strollers stuck in the middle as parents went toe-to-toe. Parents went toe-to-toe with Disneyland security says two adults were uh, throwing punches uh, amidst the baby strollers. The fist fight happened near the famous spinning teacup ride. Officials say one man who was on the ground was kicked. No word what caused the melee, but authorities say fights have become increasingly regular occurrences at Disney theme parks and other amusement parks around the country. Disney is not immune. The happiest place on earth where you go to duke it out with other parents. Man. Maybe they just need to, uh, if people are going to do that, open up a new section of the park. You got Tomorrowland, you've got Fantasyland, you've got uh, Brawl Land. I don't know. What do you call it? what would you call it? Anyways. Um couple of other items here in the uh, broken news this morning. Do you hear about this? 
A now former Citibank financial analyst found himself in hot water and eventually out of a job, all for sharing a meal with his spouse. Uh, Sobix Fichetti, I think is how you pronounce his name, filed an expense claim when returning from a work trip. Now, the claim was he had an $86 a day limit on expenses, and the uh, expense claim was well within that limit. But his manager questioned whether he had consumed all of the food that he claimed reimbursement for. In looking at the receipt, the manager noticed that there were two sandwiches and two sides and two drinks that were uh, ordered, and he questioned whether the employee actually consumed two of everything. At first, Mr. Fichetti insisted that he had eaten two meals. Uh, However, his story took a turn when he later confessed that his spouse had helped him, uh, had been with him. His spouse had been with him. As it turns out, that is against the company's no spousal expenses rule. His claim for the shared meal breached Citibank's policy, which doesn't reimburse romantic rendezvous over lunch. Uh, He was dismissed from his job over this expense. By the way, again, uh, the uh, total cost was well within his appropriated daily daily limit, but they said, not for your spouse. He subsequently took the company to court for unfair and wrongful dismissal. The court ruled in favor of the bank. The judge's ruling emphasized the importance of honesty, uh, suggesting that Mr. Fagetti was expected to own up to his expense escapade sooner. He uh, The fact that he lied about it at first. Of course, uh, if he's going to lie about his uh, own expenses, I'm not sure we necessarily want him as a financial advisor. You really think about it, so there is that. And finally, in the broken news this morning, (laughs) another case of mistaken identity, a reported mountain lion on the loose in Pennsylvania. Uh, Thomas Keller, the Pennsylvania Game Commission, Investigated reports, multiple reports, of a mountain lion on the loose. Uh, Apparently, there were uh, security folks had their, uh, you know, video doorbells uh, going off in the middle of the night as this mountain lion was uh, on the loose. So they captured video and photos of the uh, big cat. And uh, Mr. Keller, the Pennsylvania Game Commission, said in a statement, based on the photos taken uh, in comparison to uh, photos of actual mountain lions, it appears that the animal in question is a large house cat. (laughs) Not a mountain lion at all, just a house cat. Possibly a feral cat. The the last confirmed mountain lion sighting in Pennsylvania was all the way back in the 1870s. So if this had, in fact, been a mountain lion, it would be a big deal. But apparently not. No mountain lions in Pennsylvania. Just a big house cat. Just Garfield on the loose. Lasagna. There you go. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. And with that, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. When you're behind the wheel, it's okay to rock out to your music. But it's not okay to interact with your phone screen and electronic devices while driving. In most cases, anything more than a single touch or swipe is against the law. That means no texting, no typing, no scrolling, no shopping, no browsing. If an officer sees a violation, they can pull you over. So remember, Ohio, phones down. It's the law. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. And this is a very serious subject, a very serious subject in the modern day digital age, Uh, the the age of streaming entertainment that we uh, live in now. Because accessing the latest movies, the latest TV shows has never been easier 
there is also a bit of a conundrum. The omnipresent threat of spoilers. Now, it used to be when we all watched TV shows on linear television, uh, we all watched the same shows at the same time, right? Um, and you, nobody could spoil the surprise. We didn't know. You think back uh, when everybody was wondering who shot JR. If you're old enough to remember, you know, that big cliffhanger on TV's Dallas, who shot JR. Uh, everybody was watching the same episode at the same time. So nobody had streamed the episode before you did and could spoil the surprise uh, for you. It just wasn't a thing um, in most cases. I mean, yeah, sure, you could record it and watch it later on VCR. Or, uh, maybe you had a friend in a different time zone uh, that if you really wanted to be mean, you could reveal it ahead of time in certain situations. But now that people can watch shows whenever they like on whatever time frame they like, uh, there's a lot more of this going on. So a new survey of 1,000 U.S. adults uh, yields some key spoiler etiquette um, with respect to spoilers. People have a genuine distaste for having their cinematic experiences prematurely exposed, as they say. So, some spoiler etiquette coming out of this uh, survey. 1,000 U.S. adults. Some of the guidelines. Discussing TV shows should be postponed for at least five days. All right? So, when a movie lands on a streaming service, when a, a TV show lands on a streaming service, uh... At least five days. Go at least five days before you start talking about it. I know that can be tough. I mean, especially if it's a really good one. But at the very least, check and make sure that everyone within your conversation has seen all of the episodes that you're going to be talking about. Um, But five days. Wait for five days. Movies warrant a grace period of seven days post-release. So give it a full week. Um. This is kind of interesting uh, from the survey. Not all spoilers are treated equally. A considerable 63% of viewers prefer a general plot overview before diving in. They want a general plot overview. 75% believe that specific plot details, though, should be guarded as closely held secrets. And that's kind of tough. Because I've done that with my with my wife. I've watched something and then realized, oh, she would really enjoy this. So I try and give her a general overview of what's going on without giving away too much. But uh, 75% believe that specific plot details should be guarded as closely held secrets. The quest to evade spoilers runs deep. And this is where the survey gets interesting. 62% of those in the survey confess to adjusting their internet habits to uh, steer clear of leaks of the narrative that may be posted on social media or uh, elsewhere online. 62% will adjust their internet habits accordingly. 14% of those in the survey admitted to skipping work to avoid spoilers, their favorite movie and TV show. (laughs) Actually, skip work to avoid Uh, Being exposed to a spoiler. A testament to the seriousness of spoiler avoidance. The consequences of spoiler mishaps are not trivial either. Because sometimes this happens accidentally. You don't mean to give it away, but you do by accident. And that can have some serious repercussions. 36% of those in the survey say that they have engaged in heated arguments over spoiler revelations can cause a heated argument. And 15% of those in the survey report the demise of friendships or family relationships due to revealed spoilers. (laughs) 15% will end a friendship over this. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, Halloween safety... As part of our crime prevention conversations. And 
we mentioned the uh, Halloween parade. It is going to be a terrific time. Going to be there on location a week from yesterday. So less than a week until the uh, Finley Halloween parade. Um, it is uh, Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. We hope you will uh, join us. I know it's a huge crowd. If you can't be there, we're going to have uh, coverage uh, on air and online, uh, both on the radio, which is always fun, <laughs> parade on the radio, uh, but also uh, streaming live on our Facebook page. And in recent years, the uh, live stream of the parade uh, that we've done, have been it's been incredibly popular and it's always fun. Uh, to uh, see and read some of the uh, comments from people who uh, maybe don't live in Finley anymore but uh, can still have some fun with the uh, Halloween parade or um, you know are just not able to get out or whatever it might happen to be. So uh, we invite you to tune in at 7 o'clock on Tuesday of next week for the Cops and Kids Halloween Parade presented by Lone Depot. Uh, of course, a lot of folks uh, there, especially the young people, uh, come down for the candy. Um, but we want to talk about something a little bit more substantial with respect uh, to uh, sustenance. The University of Finley is gearing up for their 18th annual Helping Hands Food Drive. It is right around the corner. And uh, David Haar is with us, uh, the University of Finley and the Helping Hands uh, Food Drive. Every year, this keeps getting bigger. And I know that that's always the goal, is to make it bigger than last year. Oh, very much. Every year, we always say we want to get one more pound of food. <laughs> and we do. So it's amazing how the community and the businesses all come together for it. And most of the time, it's a lot more than just one additional pound of food. I mean, you break the record every year by thousands of pounds. I think last year, it was nearly a quarter million pounds of food, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you've right in there. It was like yeah. 238,000 pounds. Wow. That is amazing. Now, this is something that you do uh, involving the community at large, but a lot of this happens right within the campus community itself, right? Oh, yeah. It's on campus, and we have it all throughout the community. But, yeah, on campus-wise, we have contests against different departments uh, to see who collects the most pounds per food Mm -hmm. for that department. We also have the student organizations they build sculptures out of canned goods, and all those canned goods they build the sculptures with are donated to the food drive. That is uh, that is all kinds of awesome. How cool is that to see, particularly the young people on campus uh, get involved in the community in this way? Well, I tell you, it's not hard to find volunteers. Um, yeah. They definitely get involved into it. It's great to see how they come together. And we have a little bit of fun while we're doing it. So, mm-hmm. and we know it goes to help people out in need. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, when uh, when you talk about a quarter million pounds worth of food, obviously that makes a real difference, a real substantial difference in the fight against hunger in the community. And it stays right here, right? Yeah, all the food we get benefits Chopin Hall, and they help those in community that are 200% below federal poverty level. Mm-hmm. So, and that that's a lot of food at a real important time uh, of the year. So. Oh, very much. And you think, you know, 238,000 pounds lasts a long time. Well, we got like about 7,000 jars of peanut butter last year. That lasted six weeks. Mm. Um, the food itself, uh, anywhere, depending on what kind it is and type, it could be anywhere between three to four months is mm. all it lasts. Yeah. Um, And that, I guess, uh, just demonstrates the fact that uh, the importance of breaking the record year after year and and going for even more for the 18th annual than you did for the uh, 17th annual. Very much so, because, you know, uh, there's always more people seems to need to have the need, I guess. Yeah. Um, Food prices, we all know, has gone up. Right. That makes people have some food insecurity. Mm -hmm. They only have so much dollars in their wallet. Yeah. So we definitely don't want to see anybody go hungry. I would imagine that's one of the things, uh, now that I think about it, that that probably uh, resonates with college students who are on their own for the first time, maybe buying uh, buying food, you know, uh, to keep in their room or what have you, or if they're living, you know, uh, off campus. Um, buying food and and realizing just how much this actually costs. 
It is a there's an awakening some for some people on how much food actually is and how much how far it doesn't go. Yeah. Uh and again, we think of a quarter million pounds of food. That would be a lot in our own pantry, but when we're talking about the community food pantry, uh the need is definitely there. And uh so give us all of the details on this. It's actually coming up on the first of November, right? Yeah, November first is our actually the last day of the food drive. We okay. actually, so that's the, that, that is, day. that is the ultimate day. That's okay. the day we're actually collecting everything mm-hmm. and counting it and seeing how much we got. Yeah. Um, it's expanded over the years. So it's a little bit more than a one day event. Yeah. Cause we start with construction on that Friday. So the okay. student organizations start building their sculptures on the Friday before, okay. which I think is October 27th. Yeah, something like that, yeah. And then uh, they have until the day before to have it done, and they <laughs> okay. then we have voting for that. We also have within the community at the um, schools in the area mm-hmm. that they're doing collecting food on Monday and Tuesday, and we'll pick it up from their schools on Wednesday. And actually, they're competing for the Golden Can Award. So the, the school that collects the most pounds per class member they will get that golden can award last year macomb won it okay um we'll see how it goes this year okay um then on the day of the drive we have collection locations on campus as well as off campus so from 7 30 in the morning to 7 30 in the evening you can come to the center for student life building on the university family campus that's uh 301 davis street in case you didn't know mm-hmm. um we will be having a drive up and drop off location there we also have throughout the community at the, both Walmarts, at Great Scott on Broad, mm-hmm. and at Brinkman's, we'll have volunteers there uh, collecting as well um, from 11 to 7 p.m. And as for the the types of things that you're collecting, it's the typical stuff, non-perishable uh, food items, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's all non-perishable. Right. Uh, however, we try to focus on the top five needs okay. because there's things that Chopin Hall can't get um, the, from the food banks and stuff like that. So the top five items is peanut butter, canned soup, bottled juice, canned fruit, and cereal. Okay. However, we'll take any non-expired, non-damaged food items that Okay. For this drive. But especially those top five needs. Yes, those uh, top five are, needs. Yes. Are in much uh, demand. And obviously a lot of uh, a lot of on campus groups, a lot of off campus uh, organizations and companies, businesses that uh, come together to to make this happen. Oh, it's amazing on how, how the support for this drive has grown through the, the businesses and individuals in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, of course, University of Finley and Sodexo are huge sponsors for it. Even the student government um, for the University of Finley is involved in with it. Um, Gardner Trucking. You know, when we have all this food, you have to have some way to transport it. Yeah. So Gardner Trucking has helped us out picking up food for people who donate it. You, you've got a quarter million pounds of food. You can't just like stuff that in someone's trunk. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they, they stop by the day after the drive and pick up all the food we collected that day. Yeah. Um, of course, we have Walmart, Campbell's. Um, I'll help out. McLean helps us out as well. So there's a lot of good sponsors within town and Great Scott as well. And again, if folks want to help out and uh, be a part of the fun, be a part of making this happen, hopefully setting another new record, November 1st is the uh, is the date for really the community collection. Right? That is the, November 1st is the community day collection there. And if anybody wants to be involved, you can still get involved now. Um, the biggest thing is just getting the word out about the drive. Um, it seems like if people know there's a need, people will come together and help out. Yeah. Um, so any which way to help. To get the word out about is great. I also think that it's a, such a cool thing that it's an all-day uh, event. I mean, this isn't just a couple of hour food driving. This is an all-day event on campus. That is correct. It used to be 24 hours, yeah. so now we narrowed it down to where it's just 12. <laughs> <laughs> but to think, uh, you know, with a goal of, of collecting, uh, maybe actually hitting that quarter million pound mark uh, this year or exceeding that, that would be uh, huge. It says here uh, over the years – it's like uh, 1.3 million total pounds of food. So. Yeah, it's amazing. The very first year, we collected less than 1,000 pounds worth of food, and we thought that was a lot then. <laughs> uh, and hopefully we'll exceed last year's uh, total by several thousand pounds. We've got a link up on our webpage for more information about the uh, Helping Hands Food Drive. Uh, each year, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Uh, 18th annual coming up here on November 1st is the uh, is the big day. And David Haar, again, from the uh, University of Finley, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it.
And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And once again, a reminder, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, retail sales increases this Christmas are projected to barely outpace inflation. What about the other big spending category of the season? We have results from Bankrate's survey on holiday travel. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.